In this episode of the Sports Mentoring Project, I welcome a college professor, author, motivational speaker, and someone who truly transcends sports. She's won over 900 games as a head basketball coach over her 32-year career. She led her team to the Final Four nine times. She won two NCAA championships, 17 years apart, both at Notre Dame. Women's Basketball Hall of Famer, Muffet McGraw. Coach McGraw shared her perspective about the line between mentoring and coaching. She also pointed out the chasm between opportunities for men and women in coaching. She talked about her relationship with a legendary coach from Tennessee named Pat Summit and how the late coach Summit had a knack for surprising her. She also admitted to what she called a 180 to her coaching style in the early 2000s and how it changed the dynamic between her and the hundreds of young women who she mentored over three decades. Take a listen. Coach Muffet McGraw, welcome to the Sports Mentoring Project. Good morning and how are you? I'm doing great, John. How about you? Well, I'm thrilled to have you on the Sports Mentoring Project. And I'd like to start by asking you who was or is your greatest mentor? My first mentor was Jim Foster. He was the head coach at St. Joe's in Philly, where I went to school. And unfortunately, back then, you know, there weren't a lot of female role models. So when you were looking up to see what you could be, you mostly were looking at men. So he was the one that really, he guided me on my path. Uh, he was he was very different than I am in, in terms of coaching, but he really, he gave me my start. He hired me as an assistant coach and then helped me get my first head coaching job. If Coach Foster were here right now with us, what would you say to him? I would say thank you because he is the reason that I'm at Notre Dame and I, I am so, will be forever grateful for him for that. What would you say his superpower is? You know, Jim was somebody, he was in Vietnam. He was a, a very philosophical kind of laid back, really put a lot of thought into everything he did. And I'm the exact opposite. I'm impulsive and like, I'm like, let's go. This is what we're going to do. So he kind of taught me that, you know, sometimes you got to breathe and you got to sit back and you have to think about things and you don't have to be so impetuous when you're making your decisions. But he just always had a really thoughtful response whenever you asked him a question. Coach, what's your superpower? <laughs> I'm not sure I have one, but I know that I am all in for women and I am trying to promote and advocate for women as much as I can. That's very clear. And I definitely want to get into that as we continue our discussion. Um, but first, who would you consider the people who are among your mentees right now? You know, I, I everybody that's ever played here is somebody that I'm looking out for, especially those in coaching. I've got a number of them that are in coaching, um, you know, some former assistants that are in coaching. So I, I really keep in touch with them. And I just want to be there for them. I want to be there to be, you know, a sounding board, somebody they can vent to, somebody they need advice from. If they're thinking about changing jobs, that's when I usually get the call. So I, I think that's important, um, you know, to stay in touch with those. But I also have other people who I always... When I used to see them on the road, I'd just say, hey, you know, I'm happy to help you. Just ask me. If you don't have anybody you can talk to, I'd be happy to help. So who's, give me one name of the, when, that's ringing on the other line for advice. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a few. I, I would say Sherelle Allen, Megan Duffy, Ariel Breaker or some. Um, I remember sitting with Lindsay Whalen after her first year. And, and she said, and I just, we just happened to sit next to each other in the recruiting at a game. 
And I said, you know, how's the first year go? And we talked for a while and she said, gosh, I wish I would have had this conversation before my first year. But you know, people don't know who to call and, and especially with women, they think they're bothering someone. And I was on the phone constantly. I wanted to go, I went to see the Bulls practice. I went to see the Pacers. I went to see the Fever. I went to Tom Izzo and John Beeline and, and Brad Stevens. You have to get out and go visit people. Last question in this lightning round. What are the qualities that make a great mentor? And what are the qualities that make a great mentee? Well, I, I think for the mentee, you have to be open. And I think sometimes when you're starting out, you kind of have that idea, this is the way I want to do things. And you really have to be open to suggestions and, and looking at things uh, from a different perspective than you have. You, you have to look for somebody that's not going to agree with you. And I think the same in the mentor. You can't be somebody that just is always complimenting and saying, yes, you're doing great, when they're really not. I think honest feedback and being able to accept that, I think that is the key. That's great advice and a great way to describe really how mentoring can help make you better, push you and challenge some of the opinions that you hold about life and work and yourself. And so I want to start uh, in expanding on this, you know, your career, but I want to start now. It's my understanding you teach a course on sports leadership at Notre Dame and the Mendoza College of Business. Do you recall what you said to the the, you know, the, at your very first class to set the tone for the semester? Well, it's funny you ask that because I went around the room and I said, what does everybody want to get out of this class? Everybody say something because I haven't finished my syllabus and I'm not sure what direction. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I needed some, some direction, some help. And I was working on all these academic ideas about leadership and I was studying all these different people. And the woman who hired me said, you know, we, we kind of wanted you to give us your leadership style. And I was like, oh, I think that's a little easier. I, I think I can do that. You, earlier this year, and it's propped up behind you, you wrote a book called Dare to Stand Up and Stand Out, Expect More. What compelled you to pen a book? Well, I, I do a lot of speeches and I talk a lot about some things with women and I've certainly been an advocate for women. And someone approached me and said, why don't you turn that speech into a book? And I thought, this is a great idea because all these things are so important for women. And the reason I chose expect more is because women don't. We, we never expect more. We take what we're given. That's how we're raised. We are always taught to go along, to get along, to be a good sport. You're not going to have what the guys have. Don't expect to have that. You know, be happy with what you have and where you are. And that was, that, gosh, that's how women's basketball was for years until this year you see this generation of women looking at the NCAA tournament and looking at what the men have and what the women have. And they're saying, you know what? We're not taking that anymore because we deserve more. It's one thing to have a, an illustrious three decade career and have uh, traditional opinions about mentoring. It's another to write a book. So that process of you putting pen to paper, were there any aha moments or surprises as you started to put it down you know, sometimes I think I wish I would follow my own advice. I, I don't. I, I mean, I talk a lot about confidence and how important it is for women. And I struggled through that at different points early in my career. And really, everybody goes through phases of that. And there's just so many things that I put in the book. And I thought, yeah, you know that now. And I wish I would have had this advice when I was just starting out in coaching, uh, because it's just so important. You said that you have considered Pat Summit a mentor. And in many ways, you've picked up her mantle of, of leadership nationally as a female coach in women's basketball. After Pat passed away, 
Coach Summit passed away. Can you take us back to a public or not so public moment you shared with her that left a lasting impact on you? You know, there were so many things. And I think when you think about who your mentors are, you're going to have somebody that you can get on the phone and, and call. But there's also people I watched from a distance. I, I was somebody that, you know, I watched Pat and how she handled her team and what she did in big moments and how she handled the referees and what she said in the press conference and how she was. And there was a, a time when you know they were national champs and in the final four every year. And then there was one year that they didn't make the final four. And I think the, the tournament was in, in Tennessee. And there she was at the convention where most coaches wouldn't even have shown up because they're not playing. And so they're gonna you know, take their ball and go home. And she was somebody that was, she was out having fun. She was interacting with all the coaches. She was somebody that was always willing to share. And a lot of people aren't willing to share what, what they do and how they got to where they are. So she was somebody, you could just walk up to her and say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about this. And what do, you, what do you think about that? I was doing a little X and O with somebody, um, you know, just kind of sitting in the hallway and she just kind of came by and said, hey, what are you guys working on? And she's like, hey, do you ever think of this? And it was awesome, you know, and you just, you just love to see that in a coach that is, I mean, she's such an icon. We lost just such an important voice when we lost Pat. And I kept waiting for that person to step up. Who's it going to be? And Jack Swarbrick, my AD said, maybe it's you, you know, maybe it's your time. And that, that kind of helped me to uh, start using my voice. Oh, I guess that's the natural question, right? Because, you know, it seems to me like she was very much in the moment and may have realized that she had that kind of pervasive impact. Did you realize that you, when you were, when you had sort of taken up that mantle and encouraged by your AD to do that, did you, did you realize in that moment that the spotlight was, was on you? No, I didn't. And when I had my press conference in 2019, I, everybody kept saying like, wow, you know, were you planning on that? And I was not. And in fact, in the middle of talking and venting, I, in my mind, I was going, how do you get off the stage now? Like, how, <laughs> how do you stop this? Where is it coming from? And, uh, you know, it just, it just really started, but she was, you know, she was somebody that everybody wanted to be and everybody looked up to because she wasn't talking about Tennessee women's basketball. She was talking about women's basketball and everybody knew that whenever something happened, she was going to do what was best for the game. So whenever there was controversy, legislation or, or anything, everybody looked and said, what would Pat do? And that's, that was just the role model that we all had. Can you take me back to that moment in 2019 with the press conference? As, as you said, the words were coming out of my mouth and I wanted to get off stage. <laughs> what was going through your mind? Well, there was a lot to be said that Final Four. I was the only female head coach. And on top of that, I had an all-female staff, which is rare in women's basketball. I think there's maybe 20 or, or 30 out of 350 that have an all-female staff. And I was starting to get a lot of questions about it. Why, you know, why do you, you always had a guy on your staff and now you have a woman. And, um, you know, what, what about this? And why is it so important? And I had so many women coming up to me and saying, we're cheering for you guys, you know, because you have all women. And we check into our hotel and I turn on the TV and on the TV, it says, welcome Matt McGraw. And so I said to my husband, oh, so you get a welcome and I'm in the final four. And so I, I think I was starting to like every little thing I was starting to notice like, oh, that wouldn't happen to a guy. And so when the question came about, and I don't even remember exactly what the question was, um, but I had just been reading up on some things of, you know, what's going on in the world of politics and how many women are in the House and Senate. 
and how many female CEOs we have and all that for a, you know, a project that I was working on earlier. And it just, I mean, it just all spilled out and I, I really couldn't stop it. How did you feel afterwards when you're sort of watching? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of in a bubble. So I, I'm, I'm, I tweet, but I don't read any notifications. So I had no idea that people were reading it. And I'm at practice um, getting ready for the semifinal. And my manager comes up and says, Barack Obama just retweeted something about you or tweeted something about you. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and, and then, then I thought, oh my gosh, it's really out there. But still, I mean, I was in the final four. I was, I was focusing on basketball. I wasn't really thinking about that. And I, I try not to think about that stuff too much. So 33 years coaching college athletics, literally just, just by the pure numbers means you've, you've mentored hundreds of people, hundreds of women. Where is the line between coach and mentor? And, and is there one? Yeah, I, I really don't think there is. I mean, I think I'm constantly mentoring my staff, trying to get them to be head coaches, trying to help them along on their path to what they want to be. And then with players, that's such an important age for women. I mean, you're getting 18 to 22 year olds. This is an important time in their life where they're trying to figure so many things out. So I think it's a constant, it's a constant journey for them to just keep, you know, trying to reinvent themselves and look at things in a different way and give them perspective. And when I first started coaching, I used to think, well, that's their parents' job. You know, the parents should be teaching them about that or about this. Or um, I didn't like the way they were behaving, but you know, that's really maybe not my place. And then I realized that it is my job. It is my job because they're representing Notre Dame, they're representing our program. So I really start to get more involved. Not I'm not overly involved in their personal life, but I started to say talk more about, you know, what what is what do you want people to see about you? You know, what is how you are acting right now. I would show them film and go, is this what you want people to think that you are like? Um, you know, how you handle this moment, this emotion, um, you know, things like that. So I kind of bring it to their attention. So mentoring a coach to be a head coach, any mixed feelings on when you actually, when that actually happens and you lose somebody great? Well, I remember saying to Neil Ivey, you know, when you leave, I'm retiring. So um, I hope you don't take any of these jobs I'm trying to prepare you for. And she had a number of opportunities. But, you know, I, I think that's all part of it. You, you have your short list of people you're going to go to, but you want them to move on because that's what's important to them. It's not about your program and what you have. It's about how many people you can get to achieve their goals. So back to sort of coaching style, I think back to... The 2000s, Tom Coughlin's coaching the New York football giants. He is a disciplinarian. He is a, if you're five minutes early to a meeting, you're five minutes late. Um, and he had a, he had a shift. You get to Notre Dame and you had your distinct coaching style as well. And then the late nineties, you said you began to change as a coach. Can you talk more about that? Absolutely. I started the same way that Tom did. And Bobby Knight was, you know, very big out here in Indiana and so, of course, that was my way too. I, my way or the highway. This is what we're doing. And I'm not asking your opinion. I'm telling you what to do. I'm telling you what to think. I'm telling you how to act. And eventually, when the generation started to change and we got the millennials in, they weren't happy with that sort of style. And I started to understand that if I was going to be successful, I was going to have to change. I mean, I was going to have to get that buy-in, get that input because you really need that buy-in. And, and I talk about this in my class all the time. It's about your culture and that culture of belonging that everybody feels a part of and that they, ha they have the safety, that they feel they can say anything. And so I, I turned into more of a Socratic method of coaching. You know, what do you think you could have done here? You know, we're watching the film. What do you think should happen next? Do you see how this is going? 
what are some other ways we could do this? How do you like the way we're guarding the ball screen? Do you feel like this is working for you? Uh, the 2-3 zone looked really good today. How, do you, how did you feel about that? I mean, I completely changed to somebody that was always asking because, you know, when they say, I think the 2-3 zone looked great or I want to guard the ball screen this way, then when we do it in the game, it's their idea. So when they say our goal is to win a national championship, our goal is to win the ACC, then I know that's what they want. And so I'm asking them, how are we going to get there? What are we going to have to do every day? And then I can hold them accountable to the things that they decided they wanted. I'm pretty sure there's someone who's going to be listening to this that 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 particular point will resonate with because they may have a certain style. And when you decide to change style, is it a a immediate turn on the dime shift? Is it a gradual change? I have to think that for the players that were returning to your team, that must have been a whoa moment. <laughs> you know, it was a big moment for the alums who came back to practice. They're like, oh, my God, what happened? You're so soft now. <laughs> you know, we used to have to do it this way. But the thing about change, John, is that you feel like you've changed. I mean, you feel like you flipped the switch. But for other people to see that, that's going to take a lot of time. And it did. It took a lot of time. I'm from Philly. Sarcasm is my, my native language. I really, I had to tone that back because I was so sarcastic and that can be hurtful sometimes. So I started listening when I was watching practice tape, I started listening to my voice rather than just watching what was happening on the court and turn up the volume and say, oh my gosh, my tone of voice, you know, or look at my body language on the sideline when I'm, you know, putting my hand in my head and, and shaking my head and they're walking by like, what would you feel like? And a big change for me was, my son, I had a son, he started playing sports in grade school and I would watch the interaction on the court and I would think, oh my God, I'm doing the same thing my parents are doing. I'm watching when he comes out of the game, what's the coach doing? Is he talking to him? Is he helping him? Is he encouraging him? And I thought that's when I knew I had to change. So I, I would say that was definitely, I have to credit my son for helping me change. I've had the pleasure of having some incredible players on this podcast, including Neka Ogumake and Monique Billings. Neka specifically, uh, and I, I know I'm pretty sure you coached against both of them. She told me something about how hard it was to find female mentors because, in her words, there was so much competition at the top. What advice do you have in that respect for women who are at the top of their game? whether it be in sports or otherwise, that are looking for that dynamic with another woman or uh, you know, someone of the same sex or gender in their organization or outside their organization? I think the toughest thing for women is sometimes we're the only one at the table. And so it does become a competition. And it's like, they're only going to pick one woman to be in the room. And I got to be that woman. And what we don't understand is that we have to reach back and pull somebody else up and give them a chair and let them have a seat at that same table. And also we have to really, I mean, it's a lot of work because we're walking a fine line when we're in that room all by ourselves because every guy in the room is thinking we are representing our entire gender. They get to represent themselves and their opinions that they have. And they'll say, well, what do, what do the women think? And they'll look at the one woman in the room. I'm, like, I'm not speaking for all women. I have an opinion about things and I do things differently. And I need my voice to carry. And so we, you know, we have to work, first of all, to get that and be more than a token. And so we got to work a little bit harder. we got to do a little bit more. Um, we have to kind of choose our battles and see what we're going to fight for, because sometimes we're just not heard when we're in the room. So I think it's really important that you reach back 
you pull somebody else up, you mentor them, and you realize that it's not a competition. We can have all women. And that, you know, my, my favorite quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg is when there are nine, when they asked how many women will you be happy with on the Supreme Court? You know, I'll be happy when there are nine. And why shouldn't there be? And you're starting to see that now. Finally, every, every Fortune 500 company has a female on their board, but just one for some. You know, we need to open that door and really get more women up. So, so that when you are in those positions like NECA and, and the great things that she's doing, um, it, it's a little bit easier. But right now, we're still in that competition mode. Yeah, and you talked about reaching back down and bringing other women up. And that's not, that's not a responsibility solely on women, right? In, in, in a lot of ways. The difference between mentor and advocate is huge. Everybody wants to have a mentor, but for me, I think you need an advocate. You need a guy in the room. You need a guy who's got a seat at that table, who's making decisions, who's in there when they're talking about who are we going to hire. Somebody that's when, when there's no one else around, no other women around, someone who's saying, we need to hire this woman. And that is what we need. We need, we need men to advocate for us. You, you guys are so good at networking. You do so many things better than we do. We don't have anybody to teach us that. You know, we're not on the golf course. We're, we're, not, we're not doing the same things that you guys are doing and in, in forming that bond and helping each other. And then, you know, people hire people who look like them, people who hire people who are, who are like them. And we're not like them. So we, we need a guy that's willing to say, boy, this would be a great addition to our team. Along those lines, I actually had Emmanuel Acho on the podcast and I asked him something similar, right? Is it hard, you know, cross race or cross sex or cross gender? to mentor. And he's, he, his response sort of took me aback. He said, it's hard to teach what you don't know. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think that's the thing about, you know, I always say it's women should coach women because they can help them in ways that men can't because men don't know what we're going through. They don't know how tough it is to be a woman. They don't know the kind of the, the sexist remarks, the chauvinistic things, the misogyny that's out there. So they, they've never gone through it. And so it, it is difficult for them. But I think there's other things that they can do and they can ask questions. You know, they can talk about it. Women go for jobs differently than men. So a job's open. And a guy's going to walk into the boss's office and say, I'd be great for that job. Put me down. I can. I know exactly how I can make this thing work. Uh, same thing in coaching. And a, a job opens, men are going to call the AD. They're going to go to the men's coach and say, hey, put in a good word for me. Women are going to wait to be asked. We're going to sit back and we're going to wait. And we're going to wait and see, do I check all the boxes? Am I ready for this? Is this a good move for my family? Do you think they'll call me? I mean, and so a lot of times, the AD thinks, oh, she's not really interested because she's not really being aggressive going after the job. And that's the thing that I think if men could understand that women go for jobs differently, we, we, we are approached differently. We're so used to being asked, we're sitting back and waiting. And so what can be done to address that chasm? Well, I think, I think we need to do better. You know, I, I think, I mean, it goes back to the, the senior prom, you know, we're sitting waiting, I hope we get asked to the prom. You know, it, it, we have to do that ourselves. And that's something we're not taught. We're not taught that coming as we're growing up, as we're playing sports, um, when we're in school, we're, we're just not taught that men and women are looked at differently. We still have all the stereotypes. You know, it's great for men to take risks, to be aggressive and to go after things. But women, we're, we're not supposed, we're supposed to be humble team players in good sports. So we've got to change the dynamic. And it starts when you're young, when your kids are out playing soccer, when they're five and six, why isn't somebody's mom coaching the team? Why is it always somebody's dad? So that when these kids get older and then they're always playing for guys, it's like, that's normal. That's what leadership looks like. When if they were playing for somebody's mom, especially the girls, they would look and say like, hey, maybe someday I'll be a coach or, or I'll be able to be a leader because I've seen women lead. 
My next question, I actually wrote three different times <laughs> and I landed on this. We will see a woman be a head coach of a major professional sports league. When will that be? And who, which league will be the first to do it? I'm not sure it'll be in my lifetime. Uh, I, I think the NBA is the closest. You know, I think they had nine assistant female coaches. They just, Christy Tolliver just got hired, um, but I think she was already in the league. Becky Hammond is somebody that's going for the jobs, but there's so many talented men out there too. I would be happy if we had all female coaches in the WNBA. I, that's my goal is to first, let's take care of us. Let's go to the NBA, learn from the best, and then come back to the W and give us all that knowledge and, and elevate our game. So that, that's more my goal. I'm not interested in, I don't care if women ever coach a men's team. I want them to coach a women's team. Last question. Hollywood does a movie about your life. Who plays you and describe to me the trailer for that movie? <laughs> oh, golly. I hate this question. <laughs> I, I take that as a compliment. I can't imagine, any, first of all, the movie, but second of all, um, I would just pick somebody that I liked, um, you know, like Sandra Bullock. She would be fun. She did a good job in Blindside. I think she could. I think she could pull it off. Um, but the trailer, I don't know. It's going to be something about fighting, uh, fighting, fighting competitive. When you ask people to describe me in one word, competitive usually comes out pretty quick. Uh, and honest is followed closely behind. So it's definitely going to be a tell it like it is. Coach McGraw, thank you so much for joining me on the Sports Mentoring Project. And I look forward to continuing our conversation. I do too, John. Nice to meet you.